Hello, Hello yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Now, you are here again today with a sultry form of yourself. Hit us with it. I am absolutely sick to death of my own throat. I don't know what is happening now. It seems to be that any time my children get a cold, it doesn't really affect me in any other way except for my vocal cords. So you're all welcome and I'm terribly sorry that I sound like a stripper. But before you turn the episode off, we recorded this episode before you lost your voice yet again. So it's only the introduction that you have to stick with it and then it'll be back to unsultry Jade. And then <laughs> next week I'm sure we'll be Hussball Jade again. So <laughs> I'm just keeping you guys on your toes. How are you? I'm so good. I'm really, really good. So I'll start with my highs and lows. Our low was definitely that, you know, it's not as low as I'm sure it is for everyone in lockdown, but our low was that we were meant to be going to Melbourne to see our family, celebrate my niece's second birthday, celebrating my brother passing some medical exams. It was, yeah, going to be a really nice time, I guess, to spend with family. Everyone, I think, is craving time with their family if they've been separated in any way from them. But my heart goes out to everyone in Victoria, in Sydney, anywhere that you're locked down. I feel very lucky that we're not locked down, but we won't weigh everyone down with too much COVID chat because I feel like a lot of people like to listen to escape from all the COVID noise. So my low was that I couldn't go to Melbourne, but my high was that instead we went to Brisbane for the weekend, had an amazing weekend with my family and we went with another family and we got a babysitter both nights. So we went out for dinner. So it was a perfect combination of like spending the day with the kids, but then also having time to just, you know, connect with Nick and have fun with our mates and that kind of thing. So it was a really nice combination. But then I, when, when we left, I posted on Instagram that we'd found a really good babysitter in Brisbane. And I said, if there's anyone in Brisbane that wants her details, feel free to DM me. And I think I've had about a hundred people DM me. <laughs> so anytime I'm in Brisbane again, I won't even be able to hire her because she's going to be booked out to every other family in Brisbane. So Also, I commend you for taking them to that hotel because it's not super child friendly. Well, everyone said to me, oh, on the website, it says you're not allowed to have two kids in the room. How did you do it? And I was like, well, yeah, when Nick first called up, they said we couldn't have that many people in the room. And then he assured them that Goldie would be in a porticot in the toilet and Poppy would be in bed with us. So it was basically the same bedding required as, you know, if there was two adults staying. But yeah, lots of people said, how did you manage to go with two kids? On the website, it says you're not allowed to. And we're like, oh, just call up and say that you know, they're in bed with you anyway, so it's all good. Well, I'm so glad that you had a good time and everyone had a fun-filled weekend. Do you have any lows? Oh, no, your lows was Melbourne. Sorry. I was listening, I promise. Yeah, sure. What are your highs and lows? Okay, so my low clearly is I've lost my voice and I think it's a low for everyone because I have to listen to it, so I am really, really sorry. Although I did go to the football yesterday and a bunch of boys said, no, actually, we really like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so look, it's a win for some and a loss for others. My high, look, I don't know. I've been a bit stressed and anxious and that's not a high, so that's probably So the only another... high has been your heart rate. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the coffee's not helping. No, my high is, sorry, that school is back. School is back. School that's is back. That's so good. I know. Should I say it again? Yeah. School is back. Okay, let's get into mum hacks and rude or fabulous. I'm going to start with a mum hack of my own. Can't even believe it. Do you want to know it? I'm hanging on the edge I of know. my seat. You're gripping. I can see you. Mm. Okay. So the other day I've, I've got this problem all the time with the two girls sharing a room. They always pull out their clothes. They have shit everywhere. It drives me nuts. And I can't, as much as I'd like to say, I'll just get over it. I can't. I can't get over it and I won't ever get over it. It's just who I am. So we've tried doing separate closets. So they have their own school uniforms in each and blah, blah, blah because they have side-by-side closets and that hasn't worked. And then clothes just go everywhere on the floor. So I decided to put everyone's shit together in terms of the two girls. I said we're putting all pyjamas in the top drawer, all T-shirts in the second drawer. You get where I'm going with all of this. Yeah. But the beauty to it is I just started throwing it the fuck in. I wasn't folding it. I'm like, I'm not folding it. And Billy's like, mum, why? Why aren't you folding it? I said, because I'm tired of you guys just throwing it out. So why would I waste time folding it anymore? So now I literally throw everything in. As soon as it's washed, everything gets thrown in and then I get them to help me. And because they don't have to sit there and fold, everyone's throwing their stuff in. And as long as it is in those drawers, everyone's happy and they can all find their bits. So I'm actually going to go to the point of actually labelling it just so we can Mm. stay on board with that. And then I also said to my husband, I could go one step further and put child locks really high on every cupboard in the house so they don't pull out linen, they don't pull out toys and they have to ask me. But then I thought that's a little bit like Oh, and then the amount of times you hear mum every day is going to multiply by 30 as well. I know. So I'm in two minds, but I thought that was a pretty good mum hack. Well, keep us posted with how that's going. Yeah, probably turn to shit. You don't want to see my laundry right now. Holy moly. I just can't keep on top of it, however much I Yeah, but you've been been away. I have no mum hacks for anyone. I know, but I have no mum hacks for anyone. I've got a rude or fabulous, though. It was sent in by a beautiful listener. Hi, girls. I have a rude or fabulous for you. Hang on. Does she love? She didn't say love the potty, unfortunately, (laughs) but we'll still read it out. We'll let it slide, Anna. When I was 37 weeks pregnant, I went out to lunch at a local cafe and there were some boomers on bikes out the front. Just going to let everyone visualise them in their lycra. (laughs) They took one look at my bump and loudly said to each other, Oh my God, it's another one. Bloody COVID. I was standing about a metre away from them. That is rude. The irony of it is that you are from a generation that has literally been called baby boomers because there were so many bloody of you that were born during that time. So keep your bloody mouth shut. It's okay if there's another baby boom. There's been nothing else for a lot of people to do during this pandemic than fuck. So just let people do it. (laughs) Well said, well said. So is it rude or fabulous? So it's rude. rude. 
Go take your lycra off. No one wants to see it. Lycra. Okay, and today we have the most beautiful, beautiful midwife back, midwife mans. Yeah, she's back chatting all back chatting. things V-back. <laughs> she's back chatting and she's back chatting all things V-backs. Uh, we posed all the questions you guys sent into her. You've always asking us for more V-back stories and more V-back chat. So here we have it. Once again, remember, this is her personal and professional opinion, but there is always going to be many ways to skin a cat. So it's okay if you do things differently or you've heard differently. We hope you enjoy. Bye-bye. Hello. Enjoy. Au revoir. Midwife Mans is back on the potty. It's your third stint here, but today we're in the potty pod. Welcome. Oh, it's good to be back, girls. It's fun to see you. You are looking like a ray of sunshine. You are dressed in a pink, beautiful dress, matching glasses. Matching Liffy. Matching beautiful (laughs) smile. We've missed you, Mans. Oh, thanks, girls. I love catching up with you. And everyone who listened last time said they just found your laugh so infectious. So we cannot wait to have it back on the podcast today. For those who haven't heard any of your previous episodes, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Yeah, so I'm a midwife. I'm a a wife first to a lovely husband, David, and I have four of my own gorgeous children, 31 down to 21, three boys, two strapping delicious boys. and um, I love that you (laughs) describe them as that every time. I've met them all and, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) They're honeys. And a lovely girl, 21, beautiful Amy Cakes. And so I have been, I've just said to the girls, I've been had a crazy couple of months with my youngest having surgery and my home's been a a little bit like a nursing home with uh, wheelchairs <laughs> and calipers and it's, I've gone back to newborn baby days where you have to do everything for your beautiful child except they can speak back at you. The 21 year old. Okay. So it's been an adventure. But otherwise I work as a midwife at a local hospital and I run at my own little cupboard clinic on a Thursday morning and I have done for about 17 years. That's my little hideaway job. And uh, I just love being and with women. And is that women. official? <laughs> my cupboard job? Yeah. Yeah, I work for a It's not like undercover. Like <laughs> undercover Black cupboard. market. No, it's no. nothing black market. Nothing black market. I work at a pharmacy just down the road and it's a lovely way to work in the community. And um, how long have you been working as a midwife for? Okay, ready for this? 32 years. So Amazing. I'm probably double your age. No, That's scary. It is. is it? Excuse me, I am 33, so that is, okay. and Sophie's Good. 29, so nearly our whole life. There you go. You could have nearly delivered us. I nearly oh, wait, no, my- you could have delivered, wait. No. You could have delivered me, just not Jade, because she's yeah. an old bag. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's my privilege to walk with women in this vulnerable and exciting and, and yeah, incredible journey. Well, we are so happy to have you back on and we are talking about a much needed discussion because we've had a lot of messages asking for us saying, please, can you have an episode on VBACs? And I can introduce and tell you all what a VBAC is, but I think I'm just going to leave it to Sophie. To me? Yeah. Oh, I thought we were going to leave it to the actual professional who's Mandy. So vaginal birth after cesarean, can you tell us what they are and why, you know, it's important? to talk about VBACs. Okay, so vaginal birth after Caesar is just a potential option for women that have had a cesarean and yet they've recovered from Caesar and as they've been pregnant again, there's something in them that says, no, I'd like to give birth another go, natural birth. Now, sometimes this isn't a a possibility due to their history, which we'll go into a little bit more as the potty goes on, but it's a 
often a reason because they might want other children and so they're thinking about recovery. <laughs> they don't want to be, you know, hammed up in bed, not able to drive and what have you with other little toddlers. And they might just have some trauma from a caesarean initially and they actually think to themselves, goodness, could I make birth better? And is this an opportunity for me to have a better birth and a better outcome? And why do you think it is important for some women to try for a VBAC? Well, I think it's that same thing. I think there's a lot of birth trauma out there. And from the stance that I take, I'm listening to women's stories regularly, whether it be normal birth or or cesarean birth. And some of them just feel totally ripped off either by an uninformed decision they've made or their bodies failed them in a way that they weren't expecting. And they're thinking, does that count me out for another chance? Or is it something I really need to push in and and get a collaborative view and go to an obstetrician that potentially will support my journey of a VBAC and that that could be a healing story for them? So I feel like I would have a CVBA, C-A-B-V. You'd have a cesarean after vaginal birth. Yeah. How come? Because I had a I feel like my last birth was a trauma because I had to have a blood transfusion and it was just such a messy wild ride that it really really irked me that so much so I have this and this could have led to the postnatal depression I'm not sure but I actually was so thrown and every time I think of birth sadly I'm frightened by it. And I actually, like I have said, if I had a fourth, that I would opt for a C-section. That's just my personal, and maybe it stems from that, I'm not sure. And I guess it's so interesting and it's why it's so important when we have these discussions to stay somewhat general because, you know, everyone's experience Mm. of vaginal birth is different. Everyone's experience of a cesarean is different. You know, we've spoke to people on the podcast before who had incredibly positive cesareans, but then there's also people out there who have incredibly traumatic ones and the same goes for vaginal birth. So I guess, you know, when we have these discussions, it is important to remember that everyone's pregnancies, births, experiences are so different. And I can say by having three different births, one was brilliant, one was a little bit odd, and the other one was frightening. So I had three complete different But all vaginal. But all vaginal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, girls, this is this is the point. It's perception, physical recovery, how people feel hormonally and relationally following birth. Like sometimes the cesarean is a total disconnector for some women. Some vaginal births are a total disconnector. You know, yeah. they don't get the oxytocin rush and they end up with a lot of fear instead of feeling famous. <laughs> you know, some people have vaginal birth and just feel, oh, victory. And I have obviously seen a lot of feedbacks that have brought victory to people's lives. Mm. Uh, I've also seen people perhaps consider VBAC when it's totally outrageous and unrealistic Mm. and that causes me anxiety to hear the process they've got to go through. But I would strongly recommend a collaborative postnatal counselling for their emotions and their birth story and and there's a lot of postnatal guilt and trauma that's out there that's totally under the covers and never never brought out until you're brought to the D line again, the delivery line of how you want to get this kid out. And also just considering the well-being of you and your baby at the end of the day yeah. is priority. Do you know what I mean? I think some people get so wrapped up in the story and this is what I'd love and this would be fantastic. Yes, it's all fantastic, but number one is safety of mother and baby. Um, and I guess making sure that you're not putting too much pressure on 
that story completely rewriting, I guess, your journey. So maybe not thinking, okay, so if I have a vaginal birth, then absolutely everything's going to be okay. Like motherhood will be a breeze. I feel like it's important to go into it going, VBACs can be such a healing experience for people who maybe weren't happy with their cesarean, but then not thinking that it's going to, I guess, cure absolutely every hardship of birth, motherhood, etc. Yes. And VBAC is a controlled environment. So it takes away some of the mystery of birth in a sense. How so? Well, you need generally to be monitored very closely. So that's with a CTG, continuous tokograph. Um, So you are strapped up. It doesn't mean you can't be mobile and you can sit on a birth ball and all that sort of thing. And you can even be in the water oh. with an extraneous transducer. So you can have monitoring that enables you. Like cordless a, monitoring. Yeah, cordless, is it? Yeah, yeah, cordless monitoring that can help you move and groove in a shower if you miss that active birth process. But you also have to have a cannula, so a little IV access in your hand. So just in case there's an emergency where you need blood fluids or immediately um, need to go to surgery for something that's happening. And why do you need to be monitored after a C-section? What is it about a C-section that makes it more of a higher risk to have a vaginal birth? Okay, so with the history basically of caesareans, like right back in 1916, the line was a Caesar, always a Caesar. And that was basically because they did a transverse incision. So that was from your belly straight down. And then in the 1960s, well, I'm not sure exactly the dates, girls, but anyway, <laughs> go on. Um, then we had the lower caesarean section. So like the bikini line incision, you know, the sexy one. And that's what we've got now, right? <laughs> Is that your, what everyone yes. does now? Yeah. Yeah. However, if your baby came prematurely, a classical incision, which is what that's called from tummy down, that incision means you can't ever have a VBAC, okay, because that's a huge risk of rupture with that type of incision or prematurity, what have you. However, a transverse, there is still a risk of uterine rupture. Now, that's a scary word and it's a scary outcome. So it's 1% of women are at risk of having a uterine rupture with VBACs Mm -hmm. and that's one in a hundred women. So some women's personalities, well, no way, I'm not going for that yeah. as statistics. So book me back in for a Caesar. So yeah. therefore we have this bigger Caesar rate going on now too, where we, the World Health Organization would recommend 10% Caesars would be fabulous, but we're actually working at a level of 34% of women in Australia have Caesarians now. So it probably makes the VBAC more popular because we've got a greater rate of cesarean. Yeah. I guess like we're hearing about it more, but I guess, yeah, if you have more more cesareans, cesareans. then you have more people considering VBACs. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that makes it's not a weird thing. Yeah. It's normal with that statistic. Mm. Um, And also people's education, better antenatal care. I've got to say bigger babies, babies going past term to 41 weeks with great antenatal care. You know, we've got some chubba lubs that come out now. (laughs) You know, like if you had a 4.6 kilo baby girls and, you know, it got stuck, I don't think I'd be rounding up for the round two option of a vaginal yeah, birth. I would I be thinking, I'd be yeah, I'd be thinking, let's leave that <laughs> chuffer to the zipper. <laughs> let's get this little one out of the Not uh, helicopter, <laughs> this, this whopper. <laughs> you know, do you have a story of a successful VBAC yes, that do. you could tell us? Yes, I do. Because I think people would love to know. Well, this is a fun one. A lady from Byron, she was, well, she was probably about 36 having a first baby, um, backed up and, and had a 
a birth that went totally crazy and she had to have a Caesar. And she just felt she lived in the Byron Club of everyone births vaginally around here. So she just felt totally inadequate for months and months and months, mm. didn't even want to get pregnant again, didn't want to tell anyone she'd had a Caesar because she wanted to be in the vaginally birth club. <laughs> no, sorry. No, no, it's, 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 a, it's a real it's thing. Shocking. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like a pride of passage and for some some it social goes networks. hand in hand with breastfeeding. Of course, yes, and being the true goddess of motherhood yeah. and all this stuff, which is, you know, there's a place. Get me, girls. There's a place. But this girl, it led to guilt. And, and that's the problem. And the guilt is the problem and what it can do. So you just got to be mindful to be very cautious about what you say about anything. Mm -hmm. So this lovely lady, she was waiting for me when I came on a shift and she'd been actually induced at 11 o'clock in the morning and they'd booked theatre for her at 6.30. So she had, I think, five and a half hours to do her tricks and she was on a little bit of syntocinant. So they put her on the minutest amount of syntocinant to get her contracting. And when I came into her, she was probably getting one or two contractions every 10 minutes. They were quite mild. And she goes, oh, Mandy, she said, this is this is looking a bit like the Caesar land. <laughs> I said, well, you know, what are your pains like? She said, well, they're actually getting bad, but I'm not having them very often. I said, oh, okay. So I just did some distraction and, you know, heat and chat and made a laugh actually. Just we had a bit of a laugh about things and we put on some music, put on a few beats and she just relaxed. And I said, you know what? If you have a Caesar, it's all in place. Let's just see what you do. And then probably just maybe half an hour after that, she actually started going, oh, that one's got, whew, that's got quite a bit yeah, of grunt, but yeah. whew, um, getting a little bit much. Um, I'm going to need some pain relief. And I said, well, what would you like? Well, she, I don't really want pain relief, but <laughs> I, I think I might have to I have don't some want pain it, relief. I mean it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she said, what about an epidural? And I said, oh. Okay, you know no. when they ask, they're probably at a fully. A- so I checked, I checked her, and she was two centimeters. And I thought, oh, okay, we want some pain relief. We've got till well, I think mm-hmm. this is about three thirty by now. She had till six o'clock for theatre, and I'm thinking, okay, well, let's get her an epidural. Called for the epidural. The anaesthetist came uh, probably forty minutes later. By this stage, she goes, that epidural. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And she was just flinging herself around the bed. I think I've only still got contractions two every 10 minutes because she was moving so much we couldn't tell on the monitor what her uterus is doing. I had my hand on her uterus to try and check how strong they were and then all of a sudden she flew off the coop and you thought this girl's got to be in transition. And so the anaesthetist came and I said, look, I better just check her and the head was still right there. She was (gasps) 10 centimetres. I was literally, I believe, the fact she knew pain relief was coming yeah. That she relaxed and dilated and she put the time clock was off. Well, I was going to say spells. nothing hinders labour like knowing you're on a, a time schedule. Yes, yeah. So anyway, we basically, the anaesthetist was there and because the anaesthetist was she goes, get me the epidural, get me the epidural, I don't want to tear, I don't want to tear. So she went crazy about having the epidural. So he's putting his hands up in the air, well, what do I do? She's fully, normally when someone's fully yeah. in pushing, we don't do an epidural, but he did do a little local anesthetic into her spine because she was screaming for it and so she thought she had an epidural I don't believe she probably did but anyway she had a baby with no stitches probably 20 minutes later and she was in shock she kept on saying so I'm not going to theatre so I'm not going to theatre so I've had a Byron Beautiful baby bath. <laughs> she was totally 
totally beside herself. She did not like the smile off the face. She also did breastfeed first round because she didn't like her breasts and she was so upset about having a Caesar she bottle fed. This time the baby crawled up onto her chest, latched on, and was on Suckalicious program from everyone. So I think she that would have joined so the bar and gang then. I don't know, but yeah, that, that was is so a really positive. That was good 12 years ago, that story. But How common would you say it is for women after a cesarean to consider a VBAC? Like would you say that's quite common or would you say it's a small percentage of women that consider a VBAC with subsequent deliveries? The bottom line is why did you have the Caesar in the first place? <laughs> And you might get a flurry of women that had high blood pressure or they had a crazy bleed or, you know, their birth canal didn't even get a shot. Yeah. So therefore that's a totally different history to someone who, oh, who's had a breech birth. Yeah. So breech is bottom down and so they don't recommend. There's a few, oh, I think there's a couple of places in Australia that do do breech first-time births vaginally. However, generally speaking up, this end uh, where I work, it tends to be if you're breech, you're immediate cesarean section. So those girls have no idea if their head, if their baby's heads are down, uh, what chance they've got at vaginally birthing unless they're super fit physios or yeah. you know you know wonder fitness instructors that have abs like that won't let a made a baby move any way, which way except the way it sits comfortably, and it wouldn't matter what they tried birth wise, their their bodies might not release just because of a position that the baby's in. I thought that was going to be me, but, yeah, no. <laughs> my, my abs. So is that true? Is there some people that are so fit that yeah, they, it, it means they can't it, deliver a baby? Stuck in their abs. Well, they're just, well, they're just so toned and their pelvic floor is like iron. You know, wow. they're just like dancers, horse riders. It's a common thing that we can have a great birth until the pushing stage and yeah. oh, quietly on the side of you've been riding a few horses or you've danced a few <laughs> <laughs> concerts, have you? You know, what's have you been a ballerina? Uh, you know, sometimes those girls, they just have, you know, perineal areas that will not give. Lucky as, them. Uh, <laughs> in some great, ways. great for something else. Great Most for part something of lucky else. them. Yeah, potentially, yes. Yes. <laughs> so I guess the consideration of a VBAC totally depends on the reasons that you had a cesarean in the first place. Are there any other, you know, limiting factors, things that mean you definitely shouldn't try for a VBAC? Um, sometimes it's age-related. So I think they're cautious after 35. I don't know with the age exactly at the moment because we've got a lot of 40-year-olds, 41-year-olds having IVF. Generally, those ladies do prefer a Caesar and that also bumps mm. our Caesar rate up. So does twin conceptions, mm. lots of twins triplets from IVF. So that once again puts the um, Caesar rate up. Yeah. And you know, is that a bad thing? Not if it's a safe decision, you know. So yeah. I'm totally pro-vaginal birth, but I'm very realistic about the room that cesarean has for a great outcome. Yeah, and I guess like, the multifaceted reasons why that rate is going up. Yes, absolutely. After having a cesarean, how long, you know, if, if you are deemed one of the people that it would be safe to consider a VBAC, how long should you wait after a cesarean? Definitely 12 to 18 months. Yep. Um, that's a standard. So for anyone, even having another cesarean, you should probably wait 12 to 18 yeah. months just for the scar to potentially heal. So 18 months would be better, but sometimes, you know, you get a little gift before then. So it's another decision you've got to um, weigh up in the whole process. But once again, if you've got a little 18-month toddling around, you want to pick them up, 
you want to be able to play mum and do a reasonable juggle if you don't have extra support. So it's surely a consideration. And if you've had multiple caesareans before, is it wise to try Vera VBAC? Well, I'd have to say in my experience, it's pretty much a non-negotiable after one or two, depending on if you've had a vaginal birth in the past. So I have had a woman that had a vaginal birth first time. She had a cord prolax second time. So she had to have a cesarean because, you know, it was life-threatening and called a category one Caesar. She then proceeded to have another Caesar because she was petrified. And then she went on to have a fourth child spontaneously and had it as she came in the door. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she was planning to have a third Caesar, but she spontaneously delivered. Wow. So do you know what I mean? I'm still in this business because it intrigues me and it's never a done deal. Yeah. That's why I love what I do. Everyone's so different. Mm. Absolutely. So if you had had, for example, like a vaginal delivery, then a cesarean, and then we're trying for a VBAC, your likelihood of having a successful vaginal delivery would be higher because you have previously had a vaginal delivery. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's looking at about a 60 to 80% rate. They'll say even though the Vaginal birth after Caesar rate is increasing by 1.5% a year, depending on what study you look at. It yeah. gets a bit confusing. Yeah. And there's so many extra bits to all of this that I don't even know how they, it's on evidence-based studies, obviously. But with that slight increase, it's probably, it's not a huge increase, but within that there's 60 to 80% of VBACs are successful birth. Right. And that's okay. a great outcome. Yeah. And by successful, I guess we don't want to offend anyone out there. That's not not to say that a cesarean is not a A successful way to give birth. But I guess if your (laughs) aim in having a VBAC is to have a vaginal birth, 60 to 80% of people that try for a VBAC have a vaginal birth. Correct. Yeah. So can we go back to the monitoring that's typically done for a VBAC? What do you, is it through pregnancy or it's just when you're about to have Barb, that's when you have to have the catheter and everything? Think. Not a catheter, just sorry, um, just a little um, cannula. 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 Yeah. <laughs> a catheter probably would be a little bit difficult to birth. <laughs> it's difficult to birth around a catheter. <laughs> Don't worry, it happens frequently that people get it mixed up. You're not alone. Oh, <laughs> okay, that's why explanation is everything and repeating. Like, what do you understand of, of yeah. what I've just said to you? Because that is another element for women having VBACs. They get obsessed. Okay, and sometimes they're obsessed in totally the wrong arena. And they're not considering their history or what has been strongly advised to them. So they'll go shopping to 100 doctors and go, well, this guy, you know, shopping for the next best pair of pantyhose. This way, this, you know, it's just not going to work like that. You have to make an informed decision. So not catheter. It's a cannula. And then what else do you have to, okay, is there so, any other monitoring? So you'd have a workup of blood. So what they, when I say workup of blood, it's not working up a sweat there. You're basically getting a blood test to check that we're basically checking your haemoglobin level and also cross-matching some blood. So potentially if you need a cesarean, we've got a blood transfusion ready to roll. Oh. Okay, so basically it's a parallel preparation. So we're giving you a red-hot go at labouring, but in the background there's a theatre, there's an anaesthetist aware you're trialling this event. Well, that's a nice thing to know that you've got a safety blanket. I mean, you know when you go in for a vaginal birth and, shit, who knows what's going to happen? You could have a Caesar, you could have an emergency Caesar, you could just give birth that way, this way. To know that you are given the option to have a vaginal birth and have this backup plan just in the shadows is is quite a nice thing to know mentally, to know that if I can't do this or it doesn't go to plan, 
there's a backup. Absolutely. And I think that's the wonderful comfort of it that people shouldn't feel like they're under trial. They're under protection. Yeah. Okay. They're yeah. protecting. So a lot of it is our terminology, isn't totally. it? Totally. I'm having I was a protective birth. <laughs> I, I was going to say like it's great that you feel that way, Jade, and I, that's how I would feel too. But I think there would be other people who if it wasn't explained in the right way would go, oh, well, you're already second guessing me by having those things lined up. But I guess it's whether you look at it in terms of trial or protection. So is there any way, you know, when we talk about the main risk that you're monitoring for being uterine rupture, is there any way before a woman goes into labour that you can kind of uh, like categorise them as low or high risk for that complication? It's high risk if your history is rubbish. To be honest, a risk is a risk with VBAC. It's a risk because you've got, you're dealing with a scar. So there's actual evidence to say you have a scar, we don't want that to rupture. And it's fine if you spontaneously lay because your body naturally might just expel the baby. And that's happened to me before too, where I might have been in the wings for a support person to have a VBAC. And all of a sudden they've rung me, they go, Mandy, I just started contracting an hour ago. What shall I do? Well, maybe we should go to hospital. And then next thing she's ringing me back, I think I'm pushing. What am I going to do? Oh no, I haven't had my cannula in. I haven't even been monitored. And I said, well, the baby's coming out. So, yeah. a bit like <laughs> you know, that. that's sort of the best outcome for a VBAC. Yeah. If you wouldn't ask me, <laughs> the one that just takes off in a beautiful vaginal birth and has does nothing compared to the first round yeah. option of, you know, having epidurals and syntocin and, and then a baby getting stuck with position and they turn around and have a totally different event because they've got the backup that they're going to have this predictably, you know, monitored, protected event, mm. sometimes emotionally, I think it just releases the body. Yeah. You've got a safety guard there and then the body just decides to do something else as birth does. It's got no, it's not a gentleman sometimes. <laughs> it's not very gentlemanly. It's just got wild options. <laughs> it doesn't follow the rules. doesn't follow the rules. Yeah. <laughs> so it's more just there is a risk, but it you can't really know who's at high risk for it or not. I think not. Except for age, age of woman, uh, their BMI, if their BMI is really high. So the classic things for all outcomes is they look at those things, looking at like what your blood pressure is like, if you've had a history of that or you've had diabetes. Yeah. If you've had any pre-existing condition, obviously that changes your risk. Yeah. So in your personal experience, if someone came to you pregnant and said, I've had a Caesar, I want a VBAC, what would your personal suggestion be if they asked you? In my experience, I would if I haven't actually been with them in the labour to actually really, really know mm. what's happened in their journey, I think history is everything. Yeah. The why, why do they want that? A lot of people, just their personalities, yep, I'm just running up for another season, I'm not even going to deal with this. Mm-hmm. That's that's my choice and choice is important. For the one that wants the why, like we've discussed those things, they, you know, do you want to have other babies and is it important for you to not, just not keep on going back for Caesars? All of those things we mentioned. But what would I say? It's really depends on the history yeah, as to enough. how I would support that. Yep. And if I felt that uh, Caesar had been called too early, which is not my choice and not my decision, but in my experience sometimes you think it might be a convenient moment for an obstetric to get a theatre at a particular time, so we've got to do this Caesar at this time tonight, where in maybe another 20 minutes right. it could have been a different story. But I also believe that's important for these VBACs to be timelined. Mm. 
So women are realistic that they're not going to be going for these 24, 30 hour labours. There's none of that. So with a feedback, are you looking for a different timeline and different progress to say a first vaginal birth? So the birth itself might actually just take on a normal birth progress, which is a centimetre an hour after three centimetres once you're in active labour. So it would really depend on the obstetrician's overview of how he felt you were going, what the progress was looking like, and it would be a very strictly monitored affair. So Mm -hmm. he would be, it would be much more frequent checks and it would be looking at whether you spontaneously went into labour or not. So if you spontaneously labour, you've got a great outcome of the VBAC, but if you're forced into labour after 41 weeks and you need induction and then you need epidural, well, that's going to be very strictly timeline because we're actually adding to pressure on the scar by induction and then we're putting a misnomer around, not a misnomer, epidural drills great for pain, but then you're thinking, well, how is she going to feel a rupture? Uh-huh. Okay, so they will allow epidurals now for VBACs, but once again, they won't let you lie there for 12 hours. Yeah. But, and they're looking for progress and they're looking for descent of the head and they're looking for well-being of I the mother. I had no idea baby. it was so complex. Yeah, and so the signs of the uterine rupture are like the decelerations. Like how can you, and you said then it moves on to excruciating pain. pain. That so people it, would feel pain. Pass. If they had an epidural, they'd still feel the pain. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be and like it's a different burning contraction. Yes. A burning, ripping pain that starts at the top of the uterus. And you just hear the cry in the mother. And, yeah. and saying that, you ask me how many I've seen. I've actually seen two, but in never, 33 years. But not from a VBAC. VBAC. I have seen them in normal labor. So right. a girl that I trained with, she actually was on shift was 36 weeks pregnant, just about to finish her shift, and she just got this ridiculous pain. She said, this isn't heartburn, this isn't indigestion, this is a ripping pain across my belly, and she just happened to be at work. She had a seizure within an hour. Oh, my and, gosh. And we, back then, had barely heard of the word uterine rupture. She went on to have other seizures and other healthy babies, so there was no. Once again, if you're in a hospital setting, you have got such a great outcome potential, especially if you've got a neonatal unit and you've got a good obstetric unit and everyone can work very quickly, we have a good outcome even with a rupture because you're being monitored. So Mm. although sometimes a rupture will show after the event, so it will be the fetal heart rate that will show you first. And then when they get into surgery, they go, oh, man, this is about to rupture. So there's been a few close ruptures that I've heard. And then when they've gone into theatre and go, wow, that scar was something else. But that can also happen with the consecutive caesarean when someone goes in and does another Caesar and they realise that scar was so thin, we were lucky that nothing happened in this yeah. pregnancy. So, you know, birth is awesome, wondrous, scary, wild, always, always. And never do you have a, a presumptuous stance. And I guess you never really, like the comparison is always so difficult because it's like, yes, there's risks with VBACs, but like there's also risks with having a consecutive cesarean as well. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not like you're going, oh yeah, these are the risks at VBAC, but there are zero risks in having another cesarean. Yeah. And there's risks in having vaginal birth. You can have a great first birth and then someone can have a horrific posterior second birth where they needed all the bells and whistles and they have a bleed. Like Jade said, you know, a bleed can knock you out for weeks. Can you have a home birth if you're having a VBAC? The only way you can have a home birth is your body takes off before an ambulance can get you to hospital. Well, I guess anyone (laughs) has the right to have a home birth at any time. I guess Would it be advised? I assume not. I would not advise. Yeah. It needs to be uh, technically 
surveilled yeah. experience, yeah. which sounds it takes the emotion out of it, I suppose, but it's safety for me. Yeah. yeah. And does a VBAC, te- so say you've had one cesarean and then your VBAC is your second birth, does your birth tend to act like a first birth? So will it, you know, like first vaginal births tend to be, I guess, longer than a second vaginal birth. And, and I guess there's like slightly greater risk of tearing because a head's never made its way out of your vagina before. Yeah. Um, does it tend to act like a first birth in that way? Once again, it depends whether that baby ever got a chance to go through the canal right. and whether you opened up. So mm, some cervixes yeah. have the mystery door prize of never wanting to open. So yeah. the baby's in the perfect position. The mum's had a wonderful pregnancy. She's been as fit as a fiddle. She's done everything by the book. And then her cervix won't open. And historically that can ha- happen with some yeah. people. It doesn't matter what you pump them with, what sort of oxytocin and prostaglandins, they just don't want to open their cervix, even with an epidural on board yeah. to try and relax them. But, yeah. yeah, sometimes it just doesn't happen. So if you have a non-opening cervix and you've had failed inductions, I hate the terminology failed didn't work this time induction you know it's a tricky one isn't it so if that baby has been down so the classic is the nine centimeter she got to nine centimeters she had a thick anterior lip she had an epidural then she started pushing and she couldn't get the baby out so if it's a baby in the canal we're looking at size and position and pelvic shape if it's before they get out it's why didn't the cervix open yeah do you know there's so many like little catches with the outcome with the VBAC. So if it was just that you had a high blood pressure, and how would and you, you ever don't know? have high you have, blood pressure the second yeah, time. Yeah, you've got no idea. You might have cholestasis the first time. So you might have something that, you know, can cause stillbirth. So you yeah. get madly monitored and have a baby at 38 weeks, but then your cervix isn't ready to have a baby at 38 weeks usually. You know, so there's all these intricacies that and there's, you know, this is only the mild version because obviously we're just having a chat. Yeah. <laughs> so it really is on history and that just personal discussion history with your obstetrician. So the woman fully understands because sometimes I find that women blank out and they don't actually know why they had a Caesar. Yeah. And it's actually a thing. They go, I don't really know why I ended up having a Caesar. They've said that to me and I go, that's not okay. Yeah. So I think if you know even what happened to you and your story is so much better to digest Yeah. and, and deal with if you know exactly what happened. So some people just blank out because they're so stressed out. And then six weeks down the track, they're in a bucket of tears like, what just happened to me? What happened to me? Did that have to happen? So that's where the postnatal trauma is a big thing that I I think needs to to be like repeated so that you can ensure they've properly listened and understood. Absolutely. And explain to them exactly what's happened. So, What are your thoughts on public and private in terms of a VBAC? Now, this question is mainly would you recommend going private and having this extra care because you're having a VBAC? Would that be more appropriate? I mean, I know it comes down to personal choice and finances, but just in your opinion, which way would you go? I think it's really hard to answer that because people have such strong public and private ideas and also the financial consideration and also your demographic, your culture, all of that, you know, socioeconomic situation. So, yes, if you can afford something, 
you could go for it. If But people still go shopping in the private sector for who's going to support a VBAC. I've heard in the community that this doctor supports it and this doctor, so mm. I'm going to go to that hospital. And yet there's also a significant consideration that midwifery-led care can be so potentially supportive that by the end of the pregnancy the women are ready to do anything because they just feel so supported. They go And they're ready to surrender, like whatever happens and whatever's best for me because I feel heard and supported, therefore let's just go with this. Can you do a midwifery group practice model for a VBAC or do you, you have to see an obstetrician? You, yes, but you would. You would go to the high-risk clinic. It's called high-risk but it's a low risk. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's a high risk for some, it's a low risk for others, and that's for the obstetrician who's consulting to discuss that with, you know, the client. Gosh, it's so intense, isn't it? It all is these, a bit intense. All these options of yes. birth, like there are so many options and it comes down to just like mentally what we feel what we want is right. Like that's it. You know, yeah, it's just but it's, it's a wild sense- right. I think it's being sensible. Working with your history is powerful. Mm. Being realistic is powerful. Working with your family dynamics, yeah, you know, and your support and does it really matter if I have another Caesar? Like what's the loss on that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What? How does Like if always- you just said, hey, I really want to have a VBAC because I just want a natural birth, but if you looked at the history and it was like, well, you were in a serious risk, then you've got to just get over your idea and your idealism of having a natural birth. Correct. I think that's a fair comment. Mm. And it's how much is it about you or the safety of your precious little miracle in there? So it's looking at mother's mental health, of course, and recovery, physical, mental recovery is, of course, essential, but that little baby's life is number one. Mm. Mm. So if you're putting your baby at risk, it's a crazy idea. Yeah, it's, oh, it's God, it's, yeah, it's, it's such no a difficult yeah. discussion because I don't a... think anyone can ever tell you no, there is no right or wrong because, as we said from the very start, like to some people 1% is an incredibly low risk and to other people 1% is a massive risk. But I guess, yeah, going into, as we've said multiple times, going into no birth is risk free and I mean you've said the two uterine ruptures you've seen were not even related Mm. to a previous cesarean so yeah as I've said it's not it's not even comparing apples with apples like it's it's yeah you've just got to look at that wider picture and I guess decide how important a vaginal birth is to you and so just to finish us off because you know we've been a bit serious with our questions today (laughs) so we want to finish things off you know light and happy can you give us one last example of a beautiful VBAC that you've been a part of? Yeah, well, I've been involved in quite a few VBACs, but one that I just loved was, um, you know, everything sorted out with obstetrician, everything mapping along beautifully antenatally, a woman absolutely petrified about going for a VBAC. So right up until like 37 weeks, she actually hadn't, she wavered and she she was looking at research and is this the thing to do? Maybe I should go for a season, maybe I shouldn't. Anyway, 39 weeks and five days, she rings me. She goes, man, so I think I'm in labour. I said, oh, okay. Well, you didn't even go into labour last time. This is a fabulous start. And she said, should I bring the hospital? Yeah, bring the hospital. She said, do you want to come over and just, you know, cheer me up a bit? <laughs> so I popped over to her house. She was literally pumping in labour. I said, you got to get to hospital, girl. (laughs) 
And she goes, really? Is it going that quickly? And we got through the doors and she pushed out a baby. And then she goes, what? I've got to push. I've got to push. What do you mean I've got to push? I haven't thought about how to push. Wow. We haven't gone through the pushing stage. So then she actually had She's like, a I sl- haven't decided if I want to be back. Yeah, so her body totally took over. And the next, her next biggest darling was... I don't think I want to poo in front of her. I haven't discussed <laughs> that with you. Oh, my goodness. Am I going to poo in front of someone? Oh, my goodness. That's so traumatic. I said, don't worry, darling, baby's going to be here. I said, we've got the Glen 20 if we really need it. <laughs> and had she made it to a bed or was she literally Just, in the yeah, doorway? corridor, bed, pushed the baby out. Oh, how beautiful. Amazing. And she was in shock for a long time. But she said, I didn't even have to decide whether I was having a VBAC or not. <laughs> but sometimes that's a really good thing that you're not actually taking up heaps of mental, uh, it's rental space in your head because you're not like, oh, this happens, that happens. You've just, your body's gone too bad. This is what we're doing and you're just going to go with me. Yeah. And just to back up, her history was seven centimetres would not dilate past seven centimetres and her baby was a little bit round the wrong way. It wasn't posterior, it was just a little bit transverse. So I was with her for a first baby, so I did know her history. Oh. So it was a really push comes to shove. We weren't really sure. If she was going to go further than yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, lovely story. Beautiful story. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your beautiful wise words and all your beautiful stories. Absolutely. Your energy is infectious. And I think it's just proven that, you know, it is just such a personal decision. Mm-hmm. And as much as we want our podcast to be your uh, be all and end all. It is something that has to be discussed with your team based on, you know, what you've been through in the past and how things are looking currently. And But thank you so much for chatting with us today, Mandy. My pleasure, girls. Always fun. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.